Well, Happy New Year again, everyone. These past few weeks, I've asked a few people if they had any New Year's resolutions, and it's interesting that, that none of them actually had anything concrete in their mind or written down on paper. I think we've perhaps become a little bit skeptical with regards to how we tend to follow through on these commitments. A friend of mine once said, if I'd honored all my resolutions, I'd weigh seven pounds. <laughs> now, in spite of our skepticism, I encourage you to read through the Bible, the entire Bible, perhaps the Old Testament or the New Testament this year. Like I said, we've got Bible reading plans back there for you. And know this, if you fall short, it's okay. Now, my hope is that by the end of this sermon, you wouldn't see this scripture reading as drudgery, but rather as a delight. And so before we begin, let me ask you, what do you think about the Bible? How important is it in your life? Our text today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Well, this is the word of God. The word of God, um, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we, if we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word given to us, how that it is alive, and that by your spirit dwelling in your people, in your church, we are able to hear you truly and rightly, and we are able to respond in faith to the words you've given us. We confess we need reproof. We need your word to correct us. We long for its training upon us. We desire to be the people you call us to be. May we move more towards that goal in this hour, we pray. Amen. In October of 1997, I'd been a Christian for only two years, and I traveled with my friend Chuck Hoppy all the way from St. Louis to Washington, D.C. A group called Promise Keepers was holding this huge rally in the mall there. It's not like an indoor mall with, you know, Zara, things like that. No, the big outdoor mall in D.C., and this rally was called Stand in the Gap. Now, Chuck was a friend with some of the leaders of Promise Keepers, and so we were given leadership roles uh, for that weekend. And our responsibility? Well, no joke, we were to oversee the distribution of 17 tractor-trailer loads of Bibles to be handed out for free, 960,000 of them. So we set up 17 places all around the mall in DC, and we found helpers for all these locations except for one. And so Chuck and I, we prayed, and our prayers were answered in an unusual way. Well, the sun was coming up on that cool October day, and Chuck and I started handing out Bibles. And about a half an hour later, along come these rough and tough, bearded, Harley-riding gang members. 
Something was odd about them, but in a good way. They didn't have that threatening look on their faces. In fact, they were quite cheerful. Turns out their gang is called the Cycle Disciples. <clears throat> we told them we were handing out free Bibles, and their leader said, how about if we help? That's kind of how he said it. So we let the motorcycle gang take over. And surprisingly, they had far more success than Chuck and I were having. <laughs> you know what they said as they handed them out? They shouted, free food, free food, get your free food. It's funny, but true, the Bible is food to feed upon. Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Culturally, the psalmist and these Harley writers shared little in common, but one thing they agreed upon is that God's word, his holy scriptures, have an effect upon us, much like healthy food that strengthens and supports the body. So too scriptures feed and nourish us, body and soul. Our sermon text tells us the same thing, but in a little more detail. For some context, this letter, 2 Timothy, was written by the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus at the church that Paul had planted. Paul was in Rome, where? In a prison. He was in chains. Paul was writing to Timothy to encourage him because there had been some false teachers who came into the church and were trying to lead the people astray. Paul reminded Timothy of what we often need reminding of, the importance of Scripture in our daily lives. See, what the Harley writers and the psalmist, as well as Paul knows, is that God speaks to us through his written word. See, Scripture is alive. It's not just ink on paper, for God has given life to his Scriptures, and therefore we find our life in his words. For many, the Bible is just purely a man-made document. And even those who call themselves Christians can have a distorted view of God's word. And so the point I hope you see this morning is this. Because God is speaking through scriptures, we must be attentive to his voice. We're going to divide our time under two headings. First, we'll address the truth that God is speaking through his scriptures. Then we'll address being attentive to God's voice. First, God is speaking through scriptures. My friends, you will have no reason to open up a Bible, let alone study it, feed upon it, as if your life depends upon it, unless you see that God is speaking through scripture. Paul has an interesting way of saying this. Look at the beginning of verse 16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Paul is telling us uh, a number of things. First, he points to the origin of Scripture, and the origin of Scripture is God himself. Epistemologists are people who study how we come to know things. And with regards to God, most epistemologists agree that we are dependent upon God to reveal himself to us. Does that make sense? That is, as, as finite creatures, we are created beings, we cannot know the creator sufficiently apart from him taking the first steps towards us to reveal himself to us. 
right? I mean, other than, unless God does that, we're just like coming up with things in our own minds as to who God is and what he can be. So Paul tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. He's saying that God is the one who's taken the initiative to communicate, to communicate to humanity true things about himself and the world we live in, our own human nature, the meaning of life, plus many more things. So the first thing Paul is saying in this short phrase is that the origin of Scripture is none other than God himself. The second point with regards to this phrase is all Scripture is God-breathed. What does Paul mean by all? Well, he's saying that every page of the Bible that we have is God's word. It is all authoritative. Therefore, we can't pick and choose what we feel like. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, you can think, well, that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> and instead of submitting ourselves to what we read and asking God for his grace to understand or, or God in his grace to change us by his Holy Spirit, we can say, well, I just don't want to accept that part of Scripture. Have you ever done that? The third point I hope we see is not just that God has spoken in Scripture, but that he is still speaking in Scripture. That is, Scripture is alive. We see this when Paul says that it is breathed out by God, or, or God breathed. The original Greek is just one word, theonoustos, theos meaning God, and noustos, it's the adjectival form of to breathe. Are you one of those people on that first cold day in the fall where you do one of those, you know, you breathe your breath out and you, and you see that frosty air come out of your mouth? I know you do that, right? Well, that's a fair image for what we should have in our minds. God has breathed out Scripture. Now, Paul doesn't in this place give us any theories or explanations for exactly how this has worked out. One thing we do know is that God didn't take over control of the biblical writers by turning them into human typewriters like mindless puppets on a string. No, the, the book of Moses differ from the book of Isaiah, and Jeremiah, Paul, and John. For one thing, their personalities come out, right? So as for how the process works, we need to turn elsewhere in Scripture for a little more clarity. For instance, the Apostle Peter wrote these words in 2 Peter chapter 1. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and as they wrote, God himself was breathing out his words onto, onto paper, or better yet, sheepskin. What I hope you understand is that because God has breathed out Scripture, it is alive. How do we know this? Are you familiar with the Genesis account in, of creation in, in chapter 1 of Genesis? How was it that God created all things? Did he not? speak it into existence. Genesis 1, verses 2 and 3. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
God spoke all things into creation. He exhaled creation into being. Chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us that the risen Lord Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. When God breathes life into something, his breath continues to give it life. So to scripture, God has breathed life into it and his breath continues to give it life. When by the spirit that dwells in us, we read the spirit-filled words of scripture, it has the ability to come alive in us. What a wonderful promise, right? N.T. Wright provides this lengthy illustration, so... Bear with me here. Maybe I should take a drink of water before this one. It's like a full paragraph. There was once an American professor who went for a year to Oxford as a visiting academic. When he and his wife arrived, they were looking around um, one of the older parts of the college of which he was to be a member amid what appeared to them like remains of an ancient crumbling stone building his wife spotted windows with curtains in them and people going about their business inside. Honey, she exclaimed, these ruins are inhabited. These ruins are inhabited became the title of the book she wrote about their experiences that year. A lived-in building is alive in a way in which a mere tourist attraction, however well laid out, isn't. It breathes. Many people who open the Bible at random have an experience rather like the woman in Oxford. To begin with, it looks like a jumble of old bits and pieces of writing, a rag bag of poetry, history, folk tales, ethical instructions, and some strange stories about some even stranger people, right? Reading it can seem, at least to begin with, like wandering through old courtyards where somebody once lived but a long time ago. But then, just when you're tempted to put the whole thing aside as interesting perhaps, but not really relevant, you sense movement and life. Something is stirring there. There's an energy as though someone's left a light on or or music playing in the old building. Maybe it's inhabited after all. It seems to have life, a breath, even. Now, how does this teaching that all Scripture is God-breathed change how you look at the Bible? Does it challenge you in any way? Does it perhaps draw you in? So the first point we looked at is that Scripture is alive and God speaks to us in it, Our last point is that because of this, we must be attentive to his voice. Paul's point in writing these words to Timothy is to remind him just how important the scriptures are for living life here on earth. Paul is saying that because scripture comes from God, it is therefore true, and because it's true, it is therefore profitable. And because it is profitable to our lives, we must be attentive to hear God's voice in Scripture. Is that not the point Paul is making here in verse 16? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable? Does it make sense to you that if God has breathed life 
into scripture, then as we inhale it, so to speak, it has the ability to give us life too. The first and most important way in which scripture gives us life is what Paul refers to in verse 15. He reminds Timothy of the sacred writings that he has been acquainted with since his childhood and how they are able to make him what? Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. My friends, the Bible is just one giant story of God's love and his grace given to this world and it all points to Christ. All of the Old Testament either foretells or foreshadows the coming of the Messiah, the divine king who would somehow mysteriously offer up his life as a sacrifice for many. And of course, we see this come true in the four gospels that we have in the New Testament. They tell of his birth and his life and his sacrificial death. And of course, they tell of his resurrection from the dead. And the book of Revelation speaks of the age to come when Christ will return and restore this universe and those who belong to him. My friends, if you get anything out of this sermon this morning, is that it, is that it points us to salvation in Christ Jesus and our daily need of him. And that's what Paul is saying here. The God-breathed scriptures are meant to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the question is, have you been made wise? <laughs> have you been made wise? In addition to giving us new life in Christ, Scripture does other things for us. Paul highlights four of them, beginning in the second half of verse 16. Paul writes that Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, <laughs> equipped for every good work. Let's take a moment to parse out what he's saying. Paul says that scripture is profitable in four ways. Now the first two go together, and the second two go together. The first two have to do with doctrinal purity. You guys taking notes? Okay, doctrinal purity. Uh, and, the, and the last two have to do with personal purity. Now, I get it, the word purity, it's a word that we accept or reject depending upon the context. We like our milk to be pure, right? But for some reason, we're willing to accept a lot less purity when it comes to how we live our lives. This passage helps us to see that just as pure milk is good, so too is doctrinal purity and personal purity. First, doctrinal purity. When Paul says in verse 16 that scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof, reproof he is saying that the Bible guides us towards a proper understanding of God. You know, we human beings, we're pretty smart. You know, we've written encyclopedias. We've got self-driving cars, kind of. Uh, but when it comes to the mysterious things of God and eternity, we are all over the map. So we need teaching from Scripture. And when our lives, when our beliefs, when our beliefs are not aligned with Scripture, we need the reproof of Scripture. I mean, consider how some people are pantheists. They think that God is in the trees or in the blades of grass or in the flowing rivers. Others are deists. 
They believe that God created the universe, but they don't believe he's involved in any daily activity with regards. He's kind of like a watchmaker who starts up a watch and then just goes on his way. Of course, there's also those who are atheists. They believe that they don't believe in, in God created a universe. There's, they search for meaning and purpose in other ways. And then there's the polytheists. They think that there's multiple gods. Consider the, the Hindus. They have hundreds of thousands of gods to pray towards and to appease. All these different human-derived conceptions of God reveal the problem that we face. That is left to our own devices, the creature will come up with all kinds of different ideas as to who the creator is. And therefore, we need God to speak to us. And in Scripture, he does. We get to understand doctrine. Doctrine is like true things that we're able to categorize and understand about God. And the more we read Scripture, the more we're taught doctrine as to who God is, what he's like, what he's not like, what, why he has made mankind, what is the purpose of life, how can one know him, how may one be forgiven, is there life after death? So the first two areas of profitability tell us that teaching and reproof have to do with doctrinal purity. The second two have to do with personal purity, where we read for correction and for training in righteousness. You know, I think it's these last two that are more challenging for us, right? It seems a little bit easier to pursue doctrinal purity than to pursue personal purity, right? And this is why so many Christians, they know their Bibles, but they remain emotionally and relationally immature. They don't know how to forgive well, right? And to the watching world, Christians as a whole, well, we appear hypocritical. And this lack of personal purity is why we began our Grace Group Discipleship Groups over two years ago. The goal is not just to fill our heads with Bible knowledge, doctrine, but to challenge each other through grace-centered correction and training in righteousness. See, you will not grow in the way that God desires his people to grow without intentional discipleship. Doctrinal purity you can get in the privacy of your own home, listening to some R.C. Sproul lectures. But personal purity and training in righteousness necessitates purposeful discipleship. And so in discipleship community, we sit with our Bibles open and praying that God would show us more fully who we are to be. He opens our eyes, and with his very words, he corrects us, right? Not with a stick or a belt, but graciously through his words in Scripture. I don't know about you, but I need the correction of Scripture every day of my life. Because I'm prideful, I need to be told by Scripture to put on humility. That seems to be hard to put on. <laughs> because I'm tempted to doubt, I need to be reminded by Scripture to trust in the Lord and lean not on my own understanding. 
Because I'm tempted to trust in my own strength, I need to be reminded to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. How about you? You see, the more that we see that Scripture is the breathed-out Word of God given to us so that we may be transformed by His grace, the more we will be willing to submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. And then God will do a gracious work in our lives through it. And in doing so, Scripture will train us, train us in righteousness, it will produce a positive good in us. You know this, right? So scripture does something. It helps us to learn who God is. That is, it gives us doctrinal purity. And scripture helps us to, to see who we are, and it corrects us, and it trains us in what is right. It works a personal purity in us and a goodness so Paul's instruction is for all of us. As your pastor, I'm convinced that our church, our growth as a church, our life as a church, depends upon how attentive we are to hear the voice of God. It will guide us in what we are to believe, and it will transform us into the people God is calling us to be. Do you believe that? God is speaking through scriptures. We must be attentive to his voice. We began our time this morning, and I asked two questions. What do you think about the Bible, and how important is it in your life? Now, I'm not sure what effect this sermon had upon you. If you came here this morning thinking the Bible is just a man-made document, then I'm not sure that you've come full circle, but maybe the Holy Spirit has done a work in you and you're like most, it, it, you realize it's going to take some time to sift this all through. But know this, you're in a good place to do that here at Grace Church. We will walk with you. We will help you sift through scripture. For those of us who have been made wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, may we continue in what we've learned and what we firmly believed. Perhaps these words of scripture that we read this morning prove themselves to be true. They've been profitable to us, to you. Perhaps you've been taught something deeper concerning the words of God. You've gained a deeper insight into Paul's words that all scripture is breathed out by God. Or perhaps this, this time this morning has been a reproof of you. Maybe you had a limited or inferior understanding of the Bible. But now by God's grace and through his spirit, you see more clearly. Or perhaps our time in scripture this morning has proved itself profitable because you've received some important correction. Perhaps your time in scripture lately has been crowded out by other important things in life. And so maybe God has reminded you that he has life for you to receive in his word to you. May God use this time to encourage you towards a deeper walk with him through regular time in scripture this year. Or perhaps this morning it's been profitable 
to you because you're being encouraged in your walk. You are one who has been faithful in scripture. God has been training you in righteousness and to hear this just confirms what you're experiencing in your daily life. No matter how God has used this passage this morning, I hope that you see that God's intent towards us is gracious and it's loving. God has placed his word in your hands, not to harp upon you, but to give you hope, not to harass you, but to give you help, not to condemn you, but to declare you innocent, not to restrict you, but to set you free, not to burden you with rules, but to point you to the one who can carry your burdens, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I believe that most of us right now in our minds are holding two things together in tension. One, how we fall way short in treasuring your scripture, and two, how much we delight in it. So we pray that you would reconcile this, this, these truths in our lives. May you, with great love and care, nurture us through your word this year. May we as a whole, uh, as a church, understand that it is your word that will guide us and lead us in all things. And so we trust this year, 2023, to you, Heavenly Father, and you, Jesus Christ, the living word, and to the Holy Spirit who puts life in us. Amen.